0: the key thing is reduction of emissions, right? It's way cheaper and better to not emit a CO2 molecule rather than, you know, suck it up later from the atmosphere. So mitigation is absolutely the first thing which has to happen and then negative emissions unfortunately are likely to become necessary in addition to that.
1: Hello, welcome to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show, I'm Tom Street. Today I'll be talking to Leonard Batch, who is a post scientist at the Institute of Marine Antarctic Studies in Hobart, Tasmania. We're going to start off talking about Leonard's earlier work on ocean acidification, which is caused by the increasing carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere, leading to increased levels of carbon dioxide dissolved into the oceans. And this increased levels of carbon dioxide in the ocean makes the ocean more acidic. This change in acidity of the oceans has profound effects on marine life. So we'll talk a little bit about Leonard's earlier work in that area. Then we'll talk about what he is doing now, which is researching the potential side effects of negative emission technology. So negative emission technology is technology for moving carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Currently it's only done on a very small experimental scale, if at all. But Lennon's interested in trying to understand what sort of negative consequences we could experience in the future if we start to roll this technology out on a massive, planet-wide scale. Thanks very much for coming on the show today, Leonard. My pleasure. Um, So we were chatting about uh, your background from your work in in Germany in ocean acidification. Can can you tell us a bit about that?
0: Yeah, so I started as a PhD in Germany in a city called Kiel in the north, the institute. where we were interested in finding out how plankton communities respond to the invasion of CO2 into the ocean which changes the ocean chemistry and then has um, ecological implications and any kind of shift in plankton communities um, has implications also for um, the functioning of ocean ecosystems as a whole because plankton or more precisely phytoplankton which are kind of floating Unicellular plants, they are the foundation of the marine food web. And so whenever they are affected, it's likely
1: that it affects
0: everything else. So we're interested in that topic.
1: Right. So as we're putting more CO2 into the atmosphere, that's becoming dissolved into the oceans, which makes it more acidic, and that's affecting phytoplankton. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And what sort of implications does that have? Well, it depends... uh, It's not like
0: every species is negatively affected. Some species are positively affected. Some profit from extra CO2 because it fertilizes their growth. Whereas other species, they uh, suffer from it, especially calcifying species. So species that have a calcium carbonate shell, um, there's a lot of phytoplankton that have that, and uh, they grow less well. And then this changes the food web composure, right? And all of a sudden you have an energy flow through the footweb of the ocean that is very different from what it was before ocean acidification. And then we have the risks that, for example, fisheries change. They can, under some circumstances, we've also seen that occasionally they can increase or the growth of fish can increase so they can profit. But at the same time, we've seen a lot of examples where, which were actually negative. So we run into a big risk.
1: Okay. And, and do we know what sort of things we might see in the future in the ocean? with uh, increased carbon dioxide and acidification.
0: So yeah, so I think that the, the key outcome of these years of ocean acidification says of course not only uh, the ones I did, but like a lot of researchers worked on this topic, but I think the key outcome globally is that calcifying organisms such as corals, or in my case, they are called coccolithophores, so calcifying phytoplankton, they are uh, the losers of this process which affects uh, ecosystems in very co- complex manners. Okay, so maybe we don't know exactly how it, it will play out? Um, well, we can, we can draw a lot of scenarios how it will end, right? But in the case of calcifying phytoplankton, for example, because they drive a lot of the downward um, organic carbon flux that sinks out into the deep ocean, it could mean that when they are less, that this downward flux of organic carbon decreases, which would then mean that more of the organic carbon stays in the surface unless the ocean loses some capacity to take up CO2 from the atmosphere, right. which would then mean that we have a positive feedback on, on climate change because more CO2 stays in the atmosphere. Right.
1: right. So these calcifying organisms, the phytoplankton, are, are they? Yeah, it's yeah. a special type of phytoplankton. And, and they create little shells of calcium carbonate, yeah. and because those shells are dissolved by a more acidic ocean, then they don't reproduce as well. Is that right? And-
0: yeah, yeah, more or less. So um, they don't dissolve necessarily, but they are f- it's, it's it's harder for them to produce them in the first place. Okay. So they have to spend more energy on it. And then they are just like, you know, they don't feel it, or they don't grow as well anymore. And that's why other species that don't do that um, all of a sudden have, um, have a better standing because they have less competition from these guys. And then, you, ha- you know, you have
1: these uh, runaway processes that completely change the system right. eventually. Right. Okay, so if we see less of those calcium carbonate organisms and their shells dropping to the ocean bottom and sequestering carbon from the atmosphere, then that would change the cycle and perhaps that's accelerating the... Um, the accumulation of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and accelerating climate change is a f- positive feedback. That's yes, what you're saying. that's one of the potential consequences. Okay. You could also
0: come up with other potential consequences um, yeah. that are bound to that. But that is one of the, I guess, more likely ones. Right.
1: So th- this is still something that is going under a lot of research and we don't fully understand. Yes, it's really
0: hard to study these these kind of complex inter or, you know, feedbacks because they are the, the scale at which they happen are so huge. Yeah. We, we, have, we don't have the tools to study them appropriately, really. Right. But um, from modeling and from all reasonable thinking, you, 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 you somehow end, always end up in this conclusion. Right. So, which which makes it kind of
1: likely, if you want. The conclusion that it's going to reduce carbon sequestration. Well, especially,
0: like, first-order conclusion would be a, de- a decline of calcification. That is what we really see. Okay. And uh, follow-up feedbacks are what we assume or think is most likely going to happen. So, I right. would be really careful here because, like, um, yeah, it's all, it all has, everything has a certain likelihood, right? Yeah. And um, when you draw these second and third order conclusions based on your first order finding, then they become, then the likelihood becomes less and less. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. It's very unsatisfying, I know, yeah. but it's, it's, it's critical that you don't uh, oversell findings in, the, in a certain right. direction, right?
1: Right. And it's an extremely interconnected Complex system, exactly. where lots of things are affecting other things, and over exactly, and, and lots of different scenarios and different parts of different oceans, I guess, that it would operate differently potentially.
0: Yeah. That, yeah, 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 100%. And, and it's always there's always a chance that you may have missed something, right? Yeah, so nothing is for sure, but there are certain uh, likelihoods, right? <laughs> and this is one of the likely scenarios, okay. in my opinion, okay, yeah. Okay. yeah.
1: So you were telling me about how you attended the, the um, talks around the Paris Climate Agreement. Yeah. A few years ago, um, and how that led you to what you're doing now. Do, do you want to tell me about it?
0: Yes. So that was um, called Conference of the Parties, so COP twenty one in in two thousand fifteen, December two thousand fifteen, in Paris, and um,
1: that was the conference leading up to the Paris Climate Agreement.
0: Yes. Yeah. So there were. So it was the twenty first conference of the party so there have been twenty twenty one before and all not leading to uh, to too much result so coincidentally, I was on the one that led to the paris agreement it wasn't it wasn't because of me i think <laughs> no but um yeah, so I was there as ambassador, if you want for the german one of the German bio, uh, ocean acidification programs, one of the bigger, or actually the biggest one, I think. Right. And so, communicating
1: the findings of those. Yes, programs. exactly.
0: Communicating findings and informing um, just interested people that were around on that meeting, and um, oh, yeah, so was there, and uh, at the end, it was it was very stimulating, right? Very enthusiastic. Everyone was so happy that finally the world seemed to have agreed on on keeping global warming below two degrees, at least, ideally at 1.5 degrees. Um, but at the same time, um, when you look at the numbers of the global carbon budget, so what, how much, uh, so a two degree increase in temperature, how much does it translate into um, carbon emissions, right? right? So how much carbon so do we, we have wanna, left? if we want to
1: limit global warming, to two degrees above pre industrial levels, yes. then then how much carbon do we have to have in the atmosphere? Yeah. Yeah. That's what how, about. how
0: much emissions do we have left before okay. this threshold is crossed of two right. degrees? Okay. And this this number is, is really painfully small. So right. um, there is not much carbon left we can emit before this threshold is crossed. And when you then look into developments, how emissions still increase, like in 2019, I think 0.8 degrees increase still, right? So we actually, we should be on a downward trajectory since a long time already, but we're still increasing.
1: Um, We we should be just, if we're a sensible sensible civilization, we we would have been on a downward trajectory for a long time. Yeah, yeah, so um, emissions should have,
0: should be decreasing since a long time already, but they don't. They increase still. Um, so, and if you start to think, okay, how in in how are we going to achieve this? Then the likelihood to achieve this by reducing emissions alone
1: is just very very low. Oh, if we we're going to meet if we we're going to meet the Paris um, agreement, if we we're going to reach the level of warming that was agreed to in Paris, then we would have probably needed to have started reducing our CO2 emissions some time ago. That's what you're saying? Yes. But instead of starting to reduce them some time ago, we're still increasing them today. Yes. So it looks unlikely that we're going to actually meet those targets.
0: Yes. Just, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's it's unlikely or in, in terms of numbers, I think to meet the 1.5 degree wall, emissions would have to decrease by at least 15% per year starting now. Globally. Globally, yeah, yeah. And um, that is just very unlikely given the political situation we're living in, right? Yeah. So um, I think personally um, that the 1.5 degree goal, keeping it below at that level is is, um, very low. Very unlikely and even
1: that we will do that.
0: We're very likely that we will miss that target. Yeah. I I think at, like <laughs> I don't hope, it, but I think it's just very unlikely that we uh, hit, um, that we will uh, meet the target. And even the two degrees goal is hard to achieve. Yeah. Because when you just when you look at the list of things we have to do, they 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 seem really they are really tough, and um, because of Because of that, I started to look more into the issue of so-called negative emissions. So that is the idea that part of the excess emissions um, we are currently putting into the atmosphere have to be taken out of the atmosphere after emission. So we kind of have to clean up the mess we made. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, and basically all IPCC scenarios um, today tell us that these negative emissions are um, un- inevitable to achieve the two degrees goal
1: and most certainly for the 1.5 degrees goal. Yeah. So the, yeah, the IPC thinks we're probably not going to meet the two degree target, but down the road we're going to realise how serious the implications of not meeting it are and then we're going to want to put the effort in to start reducing the, the carbon in the atmosphere. We're going to have to do that if we're going to survive as a civilization. Um, so Well,
0: survival, I, I wouldn't call it... Survival. It's just like a target, right? So I don't think yeah. it has to do anything with survival. It's just a change in, in temperature. And then, of course, it has implication. Well, I, I don't like the, the word survival in this context. Anymore. But um, uh, if we want to keep it below 2, two degrees, yeah. according to the IPCC... Uh, summer, to, to, to the model summarised in the IPCC report it's very likely going to be with negative emissions and um, well negative emissions is an easy word to understand so taking co2 out of the atmosphere but the amounts that have to be taken out are outrageous so it's huge numbers and um, no no one knows how to realize
1: that right so we still don't know we would we, we probably will need to start taking carbon out of the atmosphere in really large amounts but we don't know how to do that yet
0: yeah yeah there's there's
1: ideas how to do
0: that yeah but none of them hem, have been has been proven to work at scale so right. there's a lot of um projects that show yeah in theory they work on, on a small scale laboratory yeah uh, level but um we need to take out gigatons right right and uh, yeah that's a Actually, different story and we just is it
1: easier do you think to to cut, stop producing the CO2 or to, re- to remove it, you know, is, is removal a solution to, uh, to, our, to our production of CO2?
0: No, uh, removal can just, um, well, be used to clean up the mess we've made already. The key thing is reduction of emissions, right? It's way cheaper and better to not emit a CO two molecule, rather than you know suck it up later from the atmosphere. So mitigation is absolutely the first thing which has to happen, and then negative emissions, unfortunately, are likely to become become necessary in addition to that.
1: And so that's why you're you're looking at them.
0: Well, yeah, I'm I'm looking at a certain aspect of it. So. I'm interested in the environmental implications these kind of actions would have for the oceans, right? Yeah. Because when you do something at a gigaton scale, so massive, massively large scale, um, then there's no doubt that it will affect the environment to some extent. And I'm really interested in that because what we don't want is take CO2 out of the atmosphere at the expense of serious environmental problems afterwards, right? So it, ha- it cannot be worse than climate change itself. So that's what we have to guarantee. Right. Yeah, and no, and that and that topic is completely open, so really um, there's very little understanding how these methods would affect the oceans or also the land, but I'm looking at the oceans. Yeah, so in, in general you can distinguish between ocean-based carbon dioxide removal technologies or um, land-based. So obviously I'm looking at the ocean-based and in the ocean we can do, for example, um, a very prominent example is iron fertilization, so it has been uh, investigated for a long time, since the,
1: since the 90s already. So this is where you put iron into, into the ocean, to the upper surfaces of the ocean, to fertilize the phytoplankton and increase their growth because they're limited by the amount of iron Yes, if that's right. Okay. Yes, so iron powder that kind okay. of dissolves and, and and as the phytoplankton grow more and then they die and fall to the bottom of the ocean. Yes, and and where there's no oxygen in the bottom of the ocean, a lot of them will sit there and not decompose and instead be built up in sediments over time. And the carbon stored in their bodies um, will just stay there and not return to the atmosphere. That's yes. the idea. Right?
0: Yeah, that's kind of yeah. the ideal uh, idealized
1: okay, the okay. version yeah. of it. Yeah. So people are looking at whether they could effectively fertilize the ocean with iron and, and they don't know, they haven't found a way, I think, to do that. Um, I think the technology, technology to fertilize it in the first place is
0: relatively straightforward. Okay. So it's more um, But it would the be very, effectiveness. But
1: it'd be very expensive to do, right? Uh, it'll be expensive. It'd be much more expensive to not release that carbon than to try and clean it up afterwards, like you were saying. Hard to say, okay.
0: probably, yeah. I, I wouldn't be 100% sure about this, yeah. but um, that all depends on how effective it is. So, it, it, the question is how much CO2 can you remove with one molecule of iron, right? right. So, it, it makes a massive difference if you can remove 100 or 100,000, right? So, the price basically yeah. scales with that. Okay. And since we no, don't know this effectiveness, um, it's hard to tell how much it would cost. Okay. So and and yeah, that that kind of research is uh, is missing. I mean, a lot of a lot of research in this direction comparatively much much more than than for other uh, negative emission technologies technologies has been done. Yeah. But but still, um, it's not it's not really well constrained. Okay. Um, Yeah. So we still don't have those
1: answers. No. Yeah. And then in terms of the side effects of doing this, what? What do we know about that? Um, yeah, so
0: there's a couple of s- numerous side effects, in, in fact, uh, that could occur. I think um, e- also here there is a lack of research um, because most of them have been you know, kind of conceived, but few of them have been proven to a level that you can be confident, okay, this is going to happen, right? right. Um, So, for example, what I personally think is the most critical part of it is, and it's, sorry, that's a bit complicated. I hope it's not too complicated. So, the Southern Ocean, where most of this iron fertilization
1: uh, would pro. So, the Southern Ocean is all the ocean around Antarctica. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. It's
0: like a circular ocean. Uh, Yeah, circles. So, below
1: Australia, below Chile, the the bottom part of the Pacific Ocean. Yes. And below... Yeah, right around the world, right around yes. the southern ocean, yeah, yeah, and this area is um, phytoplankton is limited by iron, so um, right and most so it's got it's got enough nitrogen, enough phosphorus, yes. and other nutrients, but the thing that is stopping things from growing is there isn't enough iron.
0: Exactly, yeah. but when you all this and and the special thing about the uh, about the southern ocean is that it distributes nitrogen and phosphorus. To large parts of the other uh, oceans, for example, for, to the North Atlantic, right? right. So uh, through uh, ocean currents, subsurface ocean currents, a lot of the nitrogen and the phosph- phosphorus that fuels production in the northern latitudes, like for example in the in the in the North Atlantic, is actually coming from the Southern Ocean. And now, when you start fertilizing the Southern Ocean uh, with iron, then you also, of course, take up Uh, nitrogen and phosphorus. And this is then trapped in the Southern Ocean and does not go uh, to the northern latitudes anymore. And then, on the long run, uh, European fisheries would decline because there's less productivity in in Europe. And I think that is a big problem because I cannot... I think if people like the politicians would know that, I don't think they really know that. But if they would, I, I guess they would never agree to do that because if it means that Productivity in their area becomes less over a long time, then they wouldn't agree to do that. Right. So that's just one side effect, which I think is really critical.
1: Yeah, so as you encourage phytoplankton growth in the Southern Ocean with iron, it then takes up more nitrogen and phosphorus as well in its growth, and then that would sink to the ocean bottom with everything else and be sequestered there. So you're not just sequestering the carbon, but you're also sequestering those important nutrients, nitrogen, phosphorus. Exactly, yeah. Right, which then stops fertilization of those northern oceans and marine, the fisheries and, yeah. and North Atlantic, right? Fisheries. And also maybe it's a carbon sequestration exactly. in the north as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it might not even have a positive yes. effect on carbon sequestration, yeah. just shifting it from one place to another. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But that's... That's still something um, that's being researched, and we're not exactly sure how that's going to play out. Not one hundred percent, but I think the
0: direction here is fairly is fairly clear. So okay. I think that is one of the one of the things we actually understand fairly well. Okay, that this is a likely scenario.
1: Is there anything else worth talking about? There we go.
0: Yeah. So um, two more approaches that I think are interesting artificial upwelling is one. Okay. So the idea to, um, in the subtropical Atlantic or Pacific, for example, to install huge pipes um, that somehow um, pump up deep ocean water into the surface. Um, so because deep ocean water is rich in nutrients and the surface surface ocean is depleted in nutrients, and then when you bring up nutrients, you fertilize productivity. J- as you do for example with iron in the southern ocean right so it's, it's basically the same principle and then phytoplankton comes and um fixes co2 and then the co2 uh, sinks to the bottom and from the atmosphere the co2 comes into the ocean so that's kind of the idea but um the, the problem here is so i'm not very optimistic about this approach because um there's for example you bring up also co2 from because the uh, deep ocean is also enriched in co2 Okay, so, so you counteract the, the effect. Yeah, man. yeah, you okay. pump it to the surface. Okay. And it could also mean that more CO2 is going out than into the ocean. Right. And then another and very critical effect is that you pump up cold water to the surface, and cold water has the ability to take up more heat than uh, warm water. And when you stop artificial upwelling after, like, say, 100 years of doing it, then the then the Earth has absorbed more heat than it would without artificial upwelling because the cold water absorbed more heat in the meantime. So, oh,
1: so more heat would be reflected yeah. back into space. If the the surface waters of the ocean are warmer, then they, yeah. they send more heat back into space. Is, is that right?
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah? Kind of. Yeah, yeah. And so the cold water absorbs more. Right. And then it's more abs-
1: readily absorbed yeah. and, and can...
0: Yeah and you 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 just keep more uh, energy within the earth. So
1: okay maybe in the short term that would be positive for yes. the climate but in the long term we we're, we're building up a bigger problem for ourselves. Yeah if you
0: stop it you know you kind yeah. of you you have to continue doing it. Yeah. And the biggest effect from it according to model simulations at least is uh, that you basically have a huge air-conditioned system for the Earth, right? Because you you pump up cool water that just basically cools the Earth's surface. So that's actually the much bigger effect than the feedback from um, removing additional CO2. So, you know, it's all, it's all very complicated and uh, there's no, so far, not a, a solution that is very attractive. Um, the one I'm most optimistic about is called um, enhanced weathering or ocean alkalinity enhancement. So it's kind of same thing either deployed on land or at sea. So the idea is, um, okay, how do I start? Uh, um, weathering reactions, so the weathering of stones, mm. um, chemical reactions involved, um, they uh, reduce atmospheric CO2 because in the reaction CO2 is consumed, of uh, not of all rocks, but of certain rock types, volcanic rocks, for example, and uh, certain re- volcanic rocks to be, sp- very clear, but um, so that is a natural process that would, on the long run, uh, re- take out all our atmospheric, or well not all, but you know the anthropogenic signal of um, of the CO two uh, and the atmosphere. It's take, the problem is it takes a hundred thousand years. So this obviously weathering of rocks, it's very slow. So you cannot see on a, on a lifetime of for relevant for us, you cannot see it happening. Um, but the way to accelerate is just to uh, basically mine these rocks and then grind them to powder, for example, and then distributing them on croplands because they are useful fertilizers. So, um, basalts, for example, they can enhance uh, crop yields and when they dissolve, they absorb CO2. So, we have a win-win situation. That's why I'm pretty optimistic about it, because then we have a financing scheme for it as well right. for the farmers to buy it. Well, yeah. And um, and then um, yeah, because this powder weather's much faster than a big rock, obviously. Um, yeah, you, you in, in increase um, the alkalinity of soil water or the ocean waters, and alkalinity is a measure
1: how much the ocean can take up CO two. So the more alkaline the ocean water, the um yeah, the more CO2 it can absorb. That's right. Um,
0: yeah, alkaline is a bit a tricky word because it refers to pH. And so the
1: higher the higher the pH, the the more CO2 can go into the water? Um, or not? Is that what
0: not necessarily. It's like alkalinity is, you have to think of it like a, a CO2 sponge, basically. Okay. Right? So it's a, it's a chemical property of ocean, or actually of all water, that just tells us how much how much CO2 can be absorbed, really. It's, it's related to pH, but it's just not the same. Okay. And um, so by uh, dissolving these rocks, you basically just increase the capacity of water to absorb CO2. Right. And um, that is very attractive because it's also the way nature would solve this climate problem, like CO2 problem in the long run. And the only thing we'd have to do is accelerate it which is easier said than done. I mean, it it, was, it has massive implications and also environmental side effects because when rocks um, weather or dissolve then they release a whole lot of um, substances into the environment, right? And these could be uh, harmful or at least change the uh, ecology of, of land or freshwater ecosystems or terrestrial ecosystems and, and the oceans as well. So that's what I'm... Currently, uh, most interested in
1: right. So you're saying if you applied these powdered rocks to agricultural land, it would then affect the oceans.
0: It would be yes, because the when they dissolve, the, then there's runoff uh, through uh, fresh water, other water courses, right, into the to the ocean. Like here, for example, the 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 Durband, right uh-huh. would uh, just transport it into the oceans. Right. But first, all it would. First of all, it would. If you apply it on land, it would mm-hmm. first affect freshwater systems and terrestrial ecosystems, okay. and later the oceans. Whereas you could also uh, uh, apply it on on the oceans, It would mm-hmm. also work here. Mm-hmm. Then it's called ocean alkalinity enhancement. That's why I initially said it's the same thing with different words. Yeah. Um, and then it would be directly affecting ocean biota. I hope that's not too complicated. <laughs> it's pretty. <laughs> Uh, I think people can get the general idea. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, Is there anything else
0: you'd like to talk about? Well, we haven't talked about too much about possible side effects, really. But I I don't know. It could become too complicated if you now start to say, "Look, uh, yeah, these calcifying organisms might all of a sudden profit from it," Mm. which is a plausible scenario now. (laughs) But I don't know if it's becoming the
1: calcifying organisms might do better with.
0: High. Yeah, the ones that I initially talked about in the context of ocean acidification,
1: they they might do better if you do if you put in a,
0: yeah, the yeah. the rock. Yeah, because right. the al- they like if you want they like it to be more alkaline. Yeah, okay. because for them it's then easier to produce a calcium carbonate shell. Okay,
1: and then but then you're saying it might be a bad thing if you change the balance of microorganisms mm. in the ocean. Um, it's just changing the balance or is it increasing maybe the abundance of...
0: So that's the research I'd like to do. In fact. Okay. Um, we, we don't really know if it could positively affect certain types of plankton, which would then lead, possibly lead to positive or negative feedbacks. And that again leads me back to the question of efficiency of a certain method. Because if we just say, okay, we increase the alkalinity by... XYZ percent percent, and then uh, CO2 is reduced by the same amount, that may not be true because at the same time we're triggering biological feedbacks that may uh, change the efficiency, either enhance or decrease the efficiency, right? For example, if you have a lot of calcifiers all of a sudden, calcification reduces alkalinity, so you have a counter mechanism that actually decreases your efficiency. Right. That's a very plausible scenario, but no one knows how, how how it works, right?
1: So nobody's gone out there and actually dumped a whole bunch of rock in the ocean to have a look at that? No,
0: no, uh, not as far as I know. Okay. I mean, there's, there's good natural analogues for that. For example, the, the Black Sea, which is a marginal sea in Europe. It's fairly big, but I don't know how well it's known here, but um, that has a high alkalinity and we don't know why, uh, we, we, we know why it has a high alkalinity, because River Danube is distributing uh, a lot of these minerals already into the ocean, and, uh, into, the, into the Black Sea, but um, we know that calcifying organisms grow very well in this, in this basin. In the Black Sea? In the Black Sea, yes. And so I, I, it's intriguing to think that it's because of the alkalinity, uh, the high alkalinity. And then this, of course, is a negative feedback, so, if you if you as a company say, look, I increase the alkalinity, and um, thereby I decrease the atmospheric CO two by that and that amount. But you yeah. neglect these um, and neglect these feedbacks, then you may then the, the 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 consumer of your carbon credit like, okay, that's going too
1: far. Yeah, no, right. So yeah, the, con- so the person that's paying for those carbon credits might be paying for something that isn't actually what yes. it's supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because
0: it's hard to account for this. We yeah. just don't know if it's really uh, that in the
1: amount we actually selling in yep. the cargo trading scheme. Yep. You have to measure the accumulation on the ocean floor and how that's changed. Exactly. Yeah. Matter. Yeah. And I guess before you start to and there isn't the money for that research. Basically, there isn't the money to grind up that rock and take it out and dump it on the ocean and measure the. Not so much was. until now. Also, because it's
0: a highly controversial uh, topic, which I totally understand, right? So no one wants to mess up the planet by with geoengineering. So geoengineering is a is a is a, is a well, it's a complicated term to use, right? So whenever you whenever you drop that term, people are like, oh. It's not good, right? But um
1: yeah, because, the, so, so because it's, you the more you change things, the more unintended consequences could yeah. could occur, right? Exactly. Before you
0: before you do something deliberately in order to improve something, you have to be sure that it does improve the situation, right? Right. And then there's a lot of different measures for improving <laughs> So does it mean you uh, in- improve the biodiversity? Does it mean you Im- improve or decrease atmospheric CO2? So, you know, there's always uh, drawbacks of each approach and figuring that out is, I think, an important challenge for us scientists us scientists to um,
1: to address. Yeah. Right. So hopefully there'll be more funding for research like this going on, going forward. Yeah, I'm optimistic that'll
0: kick in because just because the facts um, that negative emissions are likely uh, to be needed to achieve the two degrees goal. We could also just say, well, forget about the two degrees goal and forget about negative emissions. But then, you know, the consequences of climate change could be much worse than the consequences of um, geoengineering.
1: Right. So we might be interested to find out, yeah, yeah. I,
0: I would be, yeah. <laughs> I think most people should be interested in finding that out before, before it's, you know, I don't like this terminology, but before it's too late kind of thing. So when we, when we realize that actually like um, more than two degrees warming or even two degrees warming is unbearable, then um, it's better to know um, possible Doesn't ways out of the situation rather than starting something where we have no clue, how, no clue how it works. And I think carbon dioxide removal from the atmosphere, among the solutions, kind of, uh, if you like this term, but among them it's the, it's the better way because there's also plans to dim the sunlight. I said that initially, I think, so it's called solar radiation management, spraying aerosols into the, into the uh, stratosphere and then just um, have less incoming radiation but um, to me that sounds more scary and it has has a lot of geopolitical implications as well so in order to avoid that i'd rather rather um, solve the root of the problem right which is co2 so i think it's preferable to do to go
1: that way do you think you could talk about why you see what was the solution you're talking about with putting uh, solar radiation management. Solar radiation management. Why, why do you think the implications of that would be scary? Um, is that something you can talk about?
0: I, well, I'm not an, not an expert on solar radiation management. I basically read papers about it and try to understand what it means. But um, so the the thing I'm, I'm scared about is that solar radiation management, so for example... F- Building certain plane planes that fly up into the stratosphere and just spray these aerosols into the into the stratosphere, it's relatively cheap, right? So it could relatively easy be done. I mean, it's, it's not by, by cheap I mean billions, but you know it's not absolutely crazy amounts. So a, a nation like uh, Australia could probably afford
1: it. To cool the whole planet?
0: No, I don't know if to cool the whole planet, but at least to Make it dim the light in Australia, maybe. Okay. Um, so, um, and it's not really a solution, right? So you're just uh, trying to work on the symptoms rather than actually solving a problem,
1: which is CO2-based. Right. And. we, have, we, we you have to continue to do this to keep the temperature. Yeah, exactly. Down. You have to continue to do that. The moment you stop, the temperature would
0: jump up. Yeah, it jumps up. Yeah, and um, so that's why it scares me because it's not it's not a solution to a problem really. It's yeah, it's healing symptom as I said, but and then, um, and then it also has very important. It could have drawbacks for other nations. So, exa- just an example: if you if India starts to do that. And then you shift monsoon patterns because obviously, when you change uh, incoming radiation on a continent or a subcontinent, in the case of India, um, then you shift weather patterns most likely. So there's, and the hydrological cycle as well. And that has actually been shown that so, this could happen. So
1: people are talking about doing it in, in low just localized yeah, you areas can, you, you could do you it could, just for your country
0: yeah you could probably do it on a localized scale yes and that's why i think it's scary because it's not something that is globally uniform right right and, and so then when so
1: you're really changing the climate system and the way that heat is moving through the planet and they yeah. have serious implications for how things like the monsoon function yeah exactly so you could cool india and then create, even if it works for India, maybe it creates a drought or a flood in Pakistan. Exactly.
0: And then, and then all of a sudden um, they are, uh, of course, unhappy about this. And then they ask them, so what did, why did you do that? And, you know, it could lead to conflicts. And um, so that's why I'm I'm not, I'm, I'm scared about it. Right. And the thing is, this kind of research, it's, there's a natural analog, which already showed that it likely works. So there was Mount Pinatubo eruption on the Philippines, I think 1991, so a volcano that erupted and it just blew out massive amounts of aerosols into the stratosphere and then as a consequence, the years after were was slightly cooler. Mm. So that likely uh, implied that this kind of action would actually work. And the hydrological cycle as a consequence was also changing in the years after,
1: you know. But that that cool that cooled the whole planet, didn't it with you, you seem to be saying that you could put it cool just your country or um, your region um, I but must admit ex- I'm
0: not exactly familiar if it cooled the planet similarly at every place I don't okay. think so I would be surprised if it was the case, but I think on average it cooled the planet right. it may also lead you know to well more, more much cooling in a certain region and very little or hardly any effect in other regions. I I would have to look into this paper again to really be sure about it. Right. But um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it would locally mean or could locally meet, lead to conflict. Yeah. Um, if it's...
1: That's what they were suggesting in the paper that you're, you're talking about?
0: Yeah, that's uh, in a lot of papers that, that kind of issue has been discussed or implied based okay. on it. So that's why I'm, not only I'm scared about this, but many people are. And I think carbon dioxide removal is perhaps one way out of avoiding solar radiation management. Because I think, of course, mitigation would be the best solution. But then you, you start to wonder how realistic um, that is, at least sufficient mitigation, right?
1: What do you mean by mitigation?
0: Mitigation means uh, stopping emissions. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. You so, that, that is, that is so if, you, if you go down a list, I would say my preferred option is stopping emissions, then carbon dioxide removal and solar radiation management. Right.
1: Yeah. And you think doing nothing is, is probably not an option?
0: You mean doing nothing, not change, not stopping
1: emissions, not stopping emissions, not <laughs> not not um, well, drawing down carbon and not solar radiation management. It's
0: going to be a very different world to live in. I right? I think it, so. The scenarios where where like um, some media, well, I think I don't know if scientists say that, but um, that humanity is going to be uh, dying out. I don't think that's very likely. I think it's going to change um, to a certain, like to a big degree, and it's most likely going to be negative. Mm. I Don't think that humankind will die out uh, suddenly, but um, yeah, I mean, the more global warming, the worse it's going to be in large parts of the world. I mean, perhaps some parts of the world are going to profit as well. That's also
1: uh, maybe Siberia profit. and yeah Northern Canada m- maybe yeah might be useful for agriculture.
0: Yeah, I mean maybe yeah, exactly for agriculture. But then again, then when all the other countries have huge problems, then these countries are also not gonna be uh, better off afterwards, right? So, um, yeah, of course, not doing anything is the worst. It's, well, if not doing anything means continuing uh, emitting carbon, and I, I don't, I don't think it's uh, it's very appreciable to continue emitting carbon. I mean, I don't, I don't personally, I don't think that my life is better. Through emitting uh, carbon, I mean, as long as there are good alternatives to, you know, to keep a certain level of like quality in life, that don't right. think it's bound necessarily to CO2 emissions.
1: So, yeah, you, you you're saying you think you could live um, like a, a high quality modern life using renewable technologies? Yes, yeah, so, uh,
0: I would. I would think so. Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, I think you cannot turn back the wheel of time, right, so you, you, I think it's not a solution to suggest people to go back to Stone Age and live that way, <laughs> that lifestyle, to have that lifestyle, but, um, you know, finding uh, very good alternatives, and, yeah, but it, to some extent, of course, it means change in and, and, and lifestyles, and I don't know how flexible people are, really. I hope they are flexible
1: enough to avoid that big bang. Well, one way or another, we probably have to be flexible, right? We can be flexible now preemptively or adapt to whatever um, Yeah, yeah. The climate change brings. Yes, Yeah.
0: It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's likely going to be superimposed on us anyways later on, right? So it's better to, tr- like consecutively, in, in small steps, um, change. Well, now it's relatively big steps because we have to reduce emissions so quickly but uh, still better than experiencing that these big issues. Like, for example, Australia experienced this
1: summer, right? Yeah. Well, the, I, I interviewed an academic from University of Tasmania, Jamie Kirkpatrick, recently. Mm-hmm. And the way he put it is, we're still going to have to decarbonize, but now we're also going to have to adapt to car- climate change as well. Yes. So yeah. the, that means we're going to have to change a lot more than we would have if we'd start decarbonizing and adapting to that earlier. Yes, yeah, that's a good way of putting it there. Well, that's been really interesting talking (laughs) to you. Thanks so much. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) That was Leonard Barch from the Institute of Marine Antarctic Studies in Hobart, and this has been Fuzzy Logic. Thanks for listening.